0: Oh, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi. Hi. How are you feeling? How are things?
1: Well, it's summer now. So that's Yay!
0: good. It's so well. Again, we keep trying to remind people we we have been recording ahead of time. So in this recording, which is coming out in August, this is, this is a little we're gonna a little peek behind the curtain here. Uh, this is late May, so it literally just hit summer here, and we are basking in it. Where we are planting, we're enjoying the sunshine and the warmth, and and I have I don't know about you, but I am at least twenty percent happier every day. Oh <laughs> because yeah, the weather's better for yeah. sure. Like.
1: Um as Lauren mentioned it's end of May here. Over Mother's Day weekend we had horizontal snow and oh my 20, gosh 22 degrees. So to the fact that it's like 78 and we can go outside and be in sunshine and plant plants and <laughs> flowers and sit on a porch and read it's just really like, game changer.
0: Oh it's just weep with gratitude. My um my poor friend Loretta, uh, shout out to Loretta, she doesn't listen to this podcast, but uh, she had she had to postpone her wedding, um, and she had to postpone her honeymoon, and she had to uh, have an outdoor bridal shower because of the pandemic, and the day they planned for that, she had horizontal snow, so we all stood outside in winter coats with masks on, with snow literally shooting into our eyeballs <laughs> while drinking mimosas out of plastic cups, so you know what the rest of her married life is going to be absolutely oh, yeah. just so exactly. fortunate
1: like they like what is it if it rains on your wedding day that's a bad uh, or that's sorry that's a good sign yeah it's so a good omen. yeah if um your whole wedding is postponed because of a pandemic and you you know
0: yeah that's a good way to the-
1: start it off
0: I think she also, like, got sent the wrong wedding dress. Like, oh. the lining was wrong, so she had to, like, get that changed. It was just a nightmare. Nice. So she handled it beautifully. She's a very gracious person. So I, I would not have handled it that well, but she definitely did. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, we're very excited that life is life has returned.
1: <laughs> to the, to <laughs> us here in Western New York.
0: Yes, exactly. So
1: yeah, this summer, if you're, you know, your ticket, maybe you're sitting in your backyard or your porch yeah. or your house mm-hmm. or hide, trying to hide from your children. Um, maybe you get a chance to go to a local beach and where Ooh, you, yeah. you know, enjoy the wind and the weather and the mm-hmm. and sitting in the, sitting in the sand and reading a book. So yeah, for this week's topic, I decided that I'm going to cover something that it's, there's a lot of, things that you should know when it comes to literature mm-hmm, and trivia, mm-hmm. and um, this comes up a lot, and you're just going to need to know some of it, so um, today's <laughs> talk, you're just going to need to. I don't know what else to tell you, No, guys. you're absolutely Sorry, right. Sorry, <laughs> you're listening to us, because you want like some information, so... Uh, forgive my very unsexy segue but uh today's topic is called famous first words these are opening sentences of novels i love it so as our as all of our english major friends and literary Mm. enthusiasts know Book openings make a really huge impression on the reader.
0: Um, Oh, absolutely.
1: How your book starts out helps us to be oriented in the world that the book is creating. Um, It gives us our first idea of the narrator and the type of narration we're going to encounter. The first line can introduce the setting, letting us know where and when the story is taking place. So, yeah, that first sentence, it's It's important. It's important.
0: Absolutely. It's
1: important. So kind of split everything up into three tiers. So we're going to have easy, intermediate, and hard or advanced. perfect. So all of the easy ones, it's just like, guys, you should know this. You can take some context either Mm -hmm. from the sentence or maybe there's a character's name in it or like this just always (laughs) happens to come up on... Jeopardy or at Pub mm-hmm. Trivia or Learned League or things like that. And then kind of working our way up the ranks to like things that are maybe a little bit more, a little bit more difficult. Maybe you're not as familiar with that book, but it is a very iconic opening line and then up mm-hmm. to advanced. So love it. We're going to start with easy and we're going to go in chronological order. So oh, look at
0: you. You're so organized. You know, me. I love this.
1: <laughs> All right. The first one we're going to talk about. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. This is from Pride and Prejudice published Mm -hmm. in 1813 and the author is Jane Austen. So why do you need to know this? Why do we know this? Um, So, just a quick summary. The novel set in rural England in the early 19th century. It follows the character development of Elizabeth Bennet, the protagonist who learns about the repercussions of hasty judgments. It's crucial that at least one of the Bennet sisters marry well to support the others because their mother lacks an inheritance, which is a motivation that drives the plot. So the novel revolves around the importance of marrying for love, not for money or social prestige, despite the communal pressure to make a wealthy match. So this opening line... It's often parried, spoofed, and also yep. misremembered. Um, it sets up marriage as both a motif and a problem in, a, in the novel. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just one of those for some reason. It's more than 200 years old, but it you should know it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Austin, I find um, and being being historians and like l- working in the historian kind of world and being associated with people who are historians, Uh, tend to absolutely just lose their minds over Jane Austen. Like, Austenites are real, and they are rabid. It is a thing. Um, And, I mean, I'm not... mm, I was kind of a bad English major, but I really... I was surprised how much I liked Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility. Sense and Sensibility is my favorite. Because the female characters, I don't know if you've noticed this, they feel very modern Mm -hmm. like they have they're funny like they have a a lot of wit they're very smart Um, the language is I'm going to say easier than other novels of that time period Mm -hmm. it's not as like you know wordy and like floral there's a lot to like cut through to get to the idea of what is being portrayed kind of thing Um, so it's good I mean I'm a fan but there are people who are just oh yeah into it and in a major way uh we did a whole
1: episode on jane austen um episode 30 good quiet aunt jane if you would like to know more about jane austen and her books mm-hmm. um but again yes pride and prejudice first line deals with marriage single man in possession of a good fortune must be in one of a wife bam
0: Bing, bang, boom. Also, I probably said that exact same thing that I just said in that episode. So you can do a side-by-side comparison if you want to, because <laughs> as Julia and I say all the time, I have like 12 stories, and I just rotate through those.
1: <laughs> all right, moving along. Mm-hmm. Our next opening line. I that, have a, a, a sneaky suspicion. Know. Ooh, okay. Go ahead. This is from 1830. It was a dark and stormy night. The rain fell in torrents, except at occasional intervals when it was checked by a violent gust of wind which swept up the streets, for it is in London that our scene lies, rattling along the housetops and fiercely agitating the scanty flame of the lamps that struggled against the darkness. This is from the novel Paul Clifford, published in 1830, mm-hmm. and our author here is Edward bulwer Lytton. Mm-hmm. So why do you need to know this? Mainly for the opening line, because again, it's it was a dark and stormy night. It's frequently invoked for its atmospheric and neo-Gothic description. It's often in the mystery, detective, horror, and thriller genres. Um Nobody has ever actually read the book. Sorry. No. <laughs> Sorry. This is, we only no. know it for the opening line. Uh, but the novel does tell of the life of Paul Clifford, who's a chivalrous highwayman in the time of the French revolution. He leads a dual life as both a criminal and an upscale gentleman. <gasps> yes. Um, and we talked a little bit more about Bulber Lighten and um, a particular contest named for him in mm-hmm. episode 134. It's a major award, literary medals, and prizes. Um, so you can take a closer look at that if you're interested. But, um, yeah, so it was a dark and stormy night, is how the sentence begins. There's obviously much more to it, um, but that's kind of what people tend to remember. And mm-hmm. again, it comes up as it's Jokey. It's memorable. Mm-hmm. It's often parodied. It's often, you know, evoked in different in different genres. So,
0: perfect. Love it.
1: <sighs> okay, the third one from eighteen forty three, and I know you know this one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Marley was dead to begin with. Oh, this is from A Christmas Carol by our boy Charles Dickens. Oh, so, love it very memorable. Uh, Dickens sets the scene by telling the reader in no uncertain terms that one of the characters, Marley, is dead. And by creating this air of finality about Marley's death within the very first paragraph, um, Dickens is really setting up the shock and distress that Ebenezer Scrooge will later experience when the ghost of Marley returns to warn him that all of his past misdeeds are going to haunt him forever. Um, So death and loss are actually two of the main themes of what we think of as like a traditional sometimes cheery redemptive christmas story mm-hmm. um, but yes that that is another one that it, it often comes up as a very iconic opening line mm-hmm. um, easy to remember yep people like Evocative. it exactly yeah. exactly and perfect again for more about charles dickens novels and i wasn't planning on the, you know citing every single episode we've ever done but for I think more it's about important. dickens um, you can check out episode 5 what the dickens it's great all right next From 1851, three words. Call me Ishmael. Hell yeah. From Moby Dick by Herman Melville.
0: This book sucks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think Lauren has talked about how much Moby Dick sucks multiple times on this podcast. Yeah, and you're going to hear it again. Sorry, guys. Yeah. (laughs) So, again the sailor Ishmael's narrative of the obsessive quest of Ahab, the captain of the whaling ship Pequod for revenge on Moby Dick, who is the giant white sperm whale that on the ship's previous voyage bit off Ahab's leg at the knee. Um, Can you name any other Ishmaels? I mean, like, no, that's how you know that that's (laughs) what book we're talking about here. So true, 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 true.
0: It's uh, again, and I'm going to say it again. The book is profoundly boring. Um, for something that has the premise that seems like an adventure novel, it is a lot of waiting around and a lot of Ahab like shouting to the stars about how unfair it is that this that this great white beast took off his knee. Like it's just, it's horrible. The only the only no. interesting chapter no. again, no, no I'm going to say it is no. the sperm squeezing chapter. <laughs> It's homoerotic. It's great. It's there are a lot of there's a lot of ink spilled about how homoerotic the sperm squeezing chapter is. I'm just saying. But don't read it. It's awful. (laughs) Not worth it. (laughs) Yep. Call me
1: Ishmael Moby Dick Herman Melville. Great. All right. The next one. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, it was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness, it was the epic of belief, it was the epic of incredulity, it was the season of light, it was the season of darkness, it was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. This is from A Tale of Two Cities, published in 1859 by Charles Dickens.
0: I have never read this, have you read it?
1: Yes, in 10th grade I had to.
0: Was it for uh, your French Revolution class? Uh, no, it was for regular ass English. Just regular ass English. Yeah, yeah. I somehow managed to avoid that, even though I was in Regent's English. Watch <laughs> out, uh, AP English. I mean, AP English. Uh, but yeah, I I never had to read it. Maybe because I think I think my my English teacher at the time was uh, very against Dickens. Just really hated Dickens,
1: so. or or against the French, or um, against the French. Yes, so A Tale of Two Cities is regularly cited as the best-selling novel of all time. Um, Mm -hmm. It tells the story of the French doctor, Dr. Manette, his 18-year-long imprisonment in the Bastille in Paris during the French Revolution, and his release to go live in London with his daughter, Lucy, whom he had never met before. Um, Your other two characters to know from that book are Sidney Carton and um, a guy who looks just like him named Charles Darnay. So you frequently... Um, get just the first 12 words of that opening line referenced mm. it was the best mm-hmm. of times it was the worst of times but um, Dickens had a lot more to say there you Sure, uh, just kept going <laughs> I think it feels a little bit like a run on sentence but you know who am I who am I <laughs> <laughs> he's getting paid by the word um, but again yes this is often regularly cited as one of the most memorable opening lines of a novel Moving along to 1877, we're traveling to Russia here. Uh Uh-oh. All happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. It's from Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy.
0: You know what? I didn't realize that that was the opening, not uh, an opening line. Ah. I just thought it was like a a quote thing people said. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm.
1: So um, the novel itself is told in the past tense, but that first line, all happy families are alike, each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way, is actually in the present tense. So this is like a declarative statement for the whole Mm -hmm. novel, for basically anybody reading this at any point in time. So the opening sentence can also kind of be read as a thesis for the story to come. Um, The plot on it centers on an extramarital affair between the titular Anna and cavalry officer Count Vronsky that scandalizes the social circles of St. Petersburg and forces the young lovers to flee to Italy in a search for happiness. Um, Trains are a recurring motif throughout this complex family novel which is told in eight parts with more than a dozen major characters spread over more than 800 pages and often published in two volumes. Yeah. I haven't read this book.
0: No, neither have I. I saw the movie that came out like, uh, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, something like that. And I remember um, the story not really moving me, but I did love uh, the way that they shot it. It's like a stage set. Mm -hmm. So all of the... It's and then in the like when they would change from scene to scene, they would go backstage and they would like get changed into different costumes and mm. then come back out. Okay. And the only time that they were in the like quote unquote real world, like when they were out in like the Russian countryside, was when they were actually interacting with the peasants or the real people mm. of Russia. So it was kind of like that was the real Russia, while the like elite ah, were okay. in this kind of like you know created stage space with a lot of like glitter and. And facade involved so I really liked the way that they kind of brought that to life yeah but I'll, that's all I remember about the movie <laughs> like, I don't remember anything else about oh and she dies by uh, being yeah. killed by a train she, throw, she throws herself off a train right yeah Is yeah how, she get run over by a train or she... I think she throws herself into the path of a train Oof. I think she like and uh, in the movie I think you don't see it like that <laughs> and that's another cool scene <laughs> in the movie she's they not like actually huh, know it <laughs> I think in the movie they actually like the, it's cool because again the train is not like a train station you see the uh. train like coming onto the stage. So it's it's very cool. I recommend it just to okay. see like creative set design, Neat. I guess.
1: All right, next, from 1885, we're going back to America. You don't know about me without you, you have read a book by the name of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, but that ain't mm. no matter. This is from The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, published in 1885. So it is a direct sequel to The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. And again, this is often called one of the great American novels. Um, it's among the first in major American literature to be written throughout in vernacular English. So with mm-hmm. like a okay. lot of the patois and a lot of the like slang and lingo. Um I mean, I'm not sure what else I have to say about this book, but for more on Mark Twain, check out episode 41: <laughs> A Talented and Crotchety Old Man. Um, so that's an easy one because it directly cites mm-hmm. The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. It has this um, this like vernacular English to start out with. I didn't misspeak. There are a couple of you know words in there that you know maybe aren't the the most proper of grammar, mm-hmm. but. Um, but that's it. why, you know?
0: Yeah, I remember reading it when in high school and not being very impressed. <laughs> but, you know, I haven't read it since, so I might take more out of it your mind. as an yeah. adult.
1: Who knows? All right, next. Um, from 1911. All children except one grow up. Do you know what this is from?
0: Is this Peter Pan? It is Peter Pan. Yes. I did not. You know what? I read this and I don't remember this being the first line. It's kind yeah. of beautiful. Yeah. So um,
1: it was originally a 1904 play called Peter Pan or The Boy Who Wouldn't Grow Up. And then later, J.M. Barry published it as Peter and Wendy in 1911. So mm-hmm. um, right off the bat, you it tells you that we're dealing with like a fantasy. Um, if we're familiar enough with you know, 20th century fairy tales at this point, then you're familiar with the story of Peter Pan and he doesn't want to ever grow up and all of that. And so it's kind of a very glaring, obvious opening line. Mm -hmm. So
0: I love it. It's mm -hmm. great. I should read it again. (laughs) All
1: right. From 1915. As Gregor Samsa awoke one morning from uneasy dreams, he found himself transformed in his bed into a giant insect. This is from The Metamorphosis by Franz Kafka.
0: I mean, frankly, do you need to read anything no, more No, that's the whole plot.
1: That's the entire plot to the book.
0: Yeah, and then he's like, oh, no, I'm a bug. Oh, God. Uh, you know, like, it's just the rest of the book is just that. Oh, no. What? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm quoting directly. I, that's,
1: yeah, that's pages 8 through 14. Um, yes, so... Again, it's a very famous work. Um, That's the main character. Mm -hmm. The whole plot (laughs) is right there in the opening sentence. So sometimes that's very compelling, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Tell me more about why he became a bug. (laughs) You know? All right, next from 1938. Last night I dreamed I went to Manderley again. (gasps) Yes. This is from Rebecca Mm. by Daphne du Maurier. So Manderley is the name of the country estate in the novel, which is about an unnamed young woman in her early twenties, who's referred to as the second Mrs. De Winter. Mm -hmm. She marries a wealthy 42 year old widower only to discover that he and his household are haunted by the memory of his late first wife, the title character, Rebecca.
0: Yeah. This was considered, I think like the first, like the first Gothic romance novel Mm. or something along those lines. Like it, it, it was considered like one of the first of this genre, I mm-hmm. guess. I don't know. I could be wrong about that, but it has like elements of horror. It's great. I love it. Yeah. So
1: Manderly is the name of the estate in the novel. Um, you should, you know, that's, you should automatically link that with Rebecca. And by say, starting off with last night, I dreamed I went to Manderly again. Um, you can tell that this is kind of a, she's going to be recounting a story it's in the past tense. Mm-hmm. What is Manderly? Why did you dream you went there, et cetera? So it kind of right off the bat brings a reader in.
0: Yeah. It's great. I love it.
1: All right. Next from the year 1949. It was a bright cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13. Mm-hmm. This is from 1984 by George Orwell. Um, so the story of Winston Smith begins on april fourth nineteen eighty four the twenty four hour clock is considered modern, and the twelve hour clock is considered old fashioned so when Steve tells you that something isn't going to be ready at twenty hundred hours he's it. he's really um you could call him orwellian, I
0: think at yeah. that point. <laughs> Yeah, I hate that a lot of my clocks in my house are set to military time. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to do math. I just want to know the time. And he's like, it's more precise. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> it's, it's a constant battle is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so
1: quick summary of 1984, if you've managed to make it this far without reading it. Um Great Britain, known as Airstrip One, has become a province of a super state called Oceania that is ruled by the party who employ the thought police to persecute individuality and independent thinking. Uh, so many terms that were used in the novel have entered common usage, including the terms big brother, uh, double think, news speak, memory hole. So there's a lot of um, yeah. a lot of terms that Orwell made up and introduced and that have been adopted by society. So, mm-hmm. um, So yeah, it's a very... Like, I mean, if he started it off with like it was a bright, cold day in April, maybe that would not have such a such a impact. But the fact that he added and the clocks were striking thirteen makes you think something is different. Why is the clock striking thirteen? Yeah, what's going on
0: in this world? Futurism, dystopia, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Giving exactly. you that that unsettling quality mm-hmm. that nothing is the way it seems.
1: Exactly. All right, from the year 1951, we have another short one. It was a pleasure to burn. <sighs> from Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury.
0: Uh, in high school, this was, I went on like a real Ray ba- Bradbury kick. Uh, this was my favorite book assigned up until um, uh, Ethan Frome, which is a controversial choice. Like I love Ethan Frome, but like a lot of people don't. But anyway, yeah, Fahrenheit 451 is a fantastic novel. Yes. It's wonderful.
1: Um, so the book's tagline, like it's on the cover, is Fahrenheit 451, the temperature at which book paper catches fire and burns. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Um, so this novel, again, it presents a future American society where books are outlawed and firemen burn any books that are found. So... it if you know what the title is and you know what it's referring to, and mm-hmm. then right off the bat, we're we're talking about things catching on fire. Yep. The, tie it all together, everybody. Bing, bang, boom. Fahrenheit 451. Love it. All right, a couple of years later, 1957, we have another very short opening line. Who is John Galt? Ugh, this is from Lord. Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. <laughs> um, so... This line, it, yeah. I had, to, I had to get some help here because I haven't read Atlas Shrugged. And I know that it's important. I know that John Galt is an important person or character or idea or something like that. So I did do a little bit of research on this. So mm-hmm. this opening line is an expression of helplessness and despair at the current state of the novel's fictionalized world. As economic conditions in a dystopian United States worsen and the government enforces state controls on successful businesses, people are heard repeating the cryptic phrase, who is John? John Galt, which means don't ask questions nobody can answer. But it turns out like he's a real person later on. Yeah. And like
0: Yeah. He- it's it's very Anne Randian. It's I remember in high school there was, you know, when you're looking for like um uh scholarship stuff, like sometimes you have to write an essay, and sometimes mm-hmm. and one of them was, you know write an essay about Atlas Shrugged and I knew nothing about Ayn Rand at yeah. the time so I was like Pff, read a book and write an essay on it okay you know so I did that I like read the first maybe 20 pages and I was like this is not worth the $500 that it's supposed to give me absolutely not I will I will start up a lemonade stand first to get $500 before I will read the rest of this horrible mm-hmm. book yeah so strong feelings about reading uh, literature yes
1: yeah <laughs> But it is it is a, a big a big book a big uh, piece a pe- of literature I- in you know? more ways than yep. one.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's like a thousand pages or something insane like that. Yep. Yeah, she had a lot to say. Yes.
1: All right. Next, um, from the year nineteen sixty, when he was nearly thirteen, my brother Jem got his arm badly broken at the elbow. This is from *To Kill a Mockingbird* by Harper oh. Lee. Um, so. In the book, Jean Louise Finch, nicknamed Scout, lives with her older brother Jeremy, nicknamed Jem, and their widowed father Atticus, who's a middle-aged lawyer in Maycomb, Alabama. So, the phrase got his arm broke" kind of implies that something happens to him to Jem, other than maybe like an accident. Like like if somebody you know fell out of a tree, you might say, "Oh, he broke his arm." Um, sure. To say he got his arm broken, that implies mm-hmm. that something is going to happen. This is later like a real key event in the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just by starting out with when he was nearly 13, that's, that's kind of like a kind of a childish way to describe somebody's age. You know how you're yeah. like, I'm eight and three quarters. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to kind of think about it that the book is told from scout's perspective. So she's mm-hmm. the younger sister of, of gem. Um, this is, obviously like another great American novel I feel like everybody everybody at this point has you know been assigned it at one point Uh, or another
0: it was never assigned to me and I have never read it ah interesting also I've never watched the movie because I've never read the book Mm. so I have a huge hole of to kill a marking bird I I I mean I know like the general gist of the story and that kind of thing but like no I've never actually sat down and read it which is stupid because I think it's only like it's yeah. It's short and yeah. a classic and like Lauren just do it. You but
1: might as well. that's your assignment for me this summer okay. as you get to read a Walking
0: Bird. All right. I'll see what I can do.
1: All right. And our last one that I've put in the easy category is from the year nineteen seventy one. We were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. Ugh. I <laughs> <laughs> I know. This is, y'all, this is from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson. Um, If... If you don't know why, Lauren is barfing um, <laughs> to mention of this. So right off the, you know, with the dis- description, we have drugs, we have Barstow. We have, Barstow's <laughs> on the way to Las Vegas from California. So the story follows Raul Duke and his attorney, Dr. Gonzo, as they descend on yeah. Las Vegas through a drug-induced <laughs> haze while considering the failure of the 1960s countercultural movement. Um, so, yeah, it's, I'm not a big fan of like, Books or movies that rely really heavily on like drug induced like yeah psychoses you know what I mean yeah like big events that that take place through the eyes of somebody that's that's really on drugs Um, so that's not really for me but
0: it also not for nothing it's boring as hell. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care what you saw on your acid trip. Like, get off. Uh, But, like, an
1: interesting sidebar out of this book is um, the term gonzo journalism. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's a style of journalism that's written without claims of objectivity, often including the reporter as part of the story in a first-person narrative. So Mm -hmm. the word gonzo is believed to have been first used in 1970 to describe an article by Hunter S. Thompson, who later popularized the style. So that's kind of where the term originates it's where gonzo journalism originated was from hunter s thompson so that's worth at least knowing but
0: sure that is a good fact it does not belie the fact that uh this book is one big jack-off like it's just (laughs) it's just a big old (laughs) jack-off Because I knew guys in college who were like, oh, they worshipped at the feet of Hunter S. Thompson. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God, he was a genius. Like, I knew a guy, my, my college boyfriend's roommate, who was a very nice guy but took way too many drugs. He was like, I'm going to drop acid and just go into the woods with my notebook and just see what comes out of it. And I was like, all right, well, should we call someone if you don't come back by night or what? Like, I'm not impressed. Yeah. What, like, how do we prevent you from killing yourself? From doing a such a stupid thing, God, and you know it's very like it comes out of this is why I have so little <laughs> respect for this. It's like it it kind of comes out of like the Dada thing where mm. it's like we're gonna try and just like not think, like we're just gonna put words on the page and then like my inner subconscious genius is gonna come out. It's like no, it's not. <laughs> only other people who drop acid are going to be into this shit and they have to be on acid to like it oh i'm really i'm fired up i'm warm Mm. sorry everybody if you like hunter s thompson but it's garbage i'm sorry
1: (laughs) we're 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 moving along to our intermediate tier of of opening lines so i feel like your anger will subside momentarily Thank you. Um, So I guess I'm calling these intermediate because you might not necessarily have the clue about a character's name or um, you might need to know more about the book itself to understand what this opening line is actually referring to. So if you haven't read the book, maybe you don't um, totally, like you wouldn't be able to connect the line Mm -hmm. to, to anything. So starting with 1925... In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice that I've been turning over in my mind ever since. This is the opening line to The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald.
0: Interesting. So
1: our opening line here, um, we have a first-person narrator. Uh, We know that there's gonna be a time shift in the novel. Mm -hmm. So... uh, um, For those of you who haven't read it, um, the book is told by Nick Carraway, and it primarily concerns the young and mysterious millionaire Jay Gatsby and his Mm. obsession with the beautiful Daisy Buchanan and characters living in the towns of West Egg and East Egg on Long Island in 1922. Um, So after that opening line, the next part is, whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, he told me, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had. So... Right away, we know we're, we have somebody who grew up around money. This is a coming-of-age mm-hmm. story. Um, it's taking place in the 1920s. So it is it is a very interesting opening line.
0: Yeah, I loved this book. I've, I've read it a couple of times, and I feel like none of the movie adaptations have really, like, captured what the book is about mm-hmm. the book is about like wow look at how awful these rich people are <laughs> <laughs> hey. I mean that's like the gist of it like the 1920s were decadent and look at how awful these rich people are and look at how many people have lost their lives because of their carelessness and their you know mm-hmm. self-centeredness but the m- movies tend to be just like look at how glamorous oh. Daisy and Jake Gatsby oh. are oh the that's dresses. so beautiful the 20s and like a dance break and like they just love it and it's it's more about like it's a societal commentary everybody let's get to the heart of it you know great book thank you lauren hmm.
1: all right next i don't know how you feel about this one actually Uh oh um if you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born and what my lousy childhood was like and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me and all that David Copperfield kind of crap. But I don't feel like going into it if you want to know the truth. <laughs> this is, is
0: This is go, Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Yeah, Salinger. I, I don't have an opinion because I've never read it and ah. I probably shouldn't because I have I didn't I didn't read it at the time I was supposed to read it.
1: Ugh. He's just like you such know? a dirtbag. <laughs>
0: Uh, God,
1: uh, so the book was originally intended for adults, but again, it's kind of often read by adolescents for its themes mm-hmm. of angst and alienation, and as a critique on superficiality in society. Um, so Holden Caulfield became an icon for teenage rebellion. Um, yeah, it's it's often like a favorite book of like high school guys, high you school know, dudes. Pitcher yeah, Catcher in the Rye. You know, just so. really he really gets me that angst. Oh, uh, you know how, how he just, how he just, oh, uh, gets there, gets out there, catches all that rye, you know?
0: <laughs> One of my evergreen tweets. Yeah. Love it. Love it.
1: Uh, yeah. So, you know, right, uh, <laughs> right from that opening line, we kind of have this like, well, I'm telling you a story, but like, I don't really feel like going into it. Okay. <laughs>
0: I, I saw your brother in that moment. <laughs> like you embodied Bobby in such an intense way that I like it actually burned my eyes a little. <laughs> he doesn't listen to this podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, speaking of eye burning 1962. Uh Oh, there was me. That is Alex and my three droogs. That is Pete, Georgie and dim. And we sat in the Corova milk bar trying to make up our Razzadocs. What to do with the evening. It's from Mm -hmm. A Clockwork Orange. 1962 by Anthony Burgess. Um, so this is set in a near future society that has a youth subculture of extreme violence. The teenage protagonist, Alex, narrates his violent exploits and his experiences with state authorities' intent on reforming him. Um, the book is partially written in a slang argo called Nadsat, which is a mix of modified Slavic words, rhyming slang, and derived Russian. Um, so for example, drug, which is there in that opening sentence, it, that's uh, their word for friend.
0: Mm. so it's okay. like yeah mm-hmm.
1: that's me like i'm alex and these are my friends you can kind of like these are my bros. picture it like a real world like and these are my friends and we're in the <laughs> milk bar oh that's pete and georgie and we're like trying to figure out what well what the heck we're getting up to tonight you know um but it's so much more violent and <laughs> and terrifying than that um and stanley kubrick made the movie mm-hmm for more on Stanley Kubrick and the movie check out yes. episode 58 what's the plan Stanley Kubrick so, it's very good um so yeah that's so if you haven't read it or you haven't seen the movie it's one of those lines that's like what the heck is going on here yeah um but it it definitely points you to Clockwork Orange mm-hmm all right next 1963 It was a queer, sultry summer, the summer they electrocuted the Rosenbergs, and I didn't know what I was doing in New York. This is from The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath.
0: Oh, you know what? Not to sound like like a gothy college student who was like, you don't understand where I'm coming from. But I really love this book. (laughs) Like college, I was into The Bell Jar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What a surprise. Um, But yeah. I was kind of super into the bell jar at the time.
1: (laughs) So Esther Greenwood is the protagonist of the story. Um, She becomes mentally unstable during a summer spent interning at a magazine in New York City. Um, So this opening line sets the time period. It's summer 1953. It sets the place Um, right off the bat. You know, I don't know what I was doing in New York. Like we kind of have a character who is already like waffling about. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and it was originally published under the pseudonym Victoria Lucas in 1963. So wasn't, wasn't published under her name until after she had died.
0: It has, for, for something that's set in 1953, it has a lot of modernity to it. Like it, you feel like you really do relate to the lead character. And I mean, not maybe not so much her like slow mental breakdown throughout the course <laughs> well, of the book. Yeah, It's not a light, novel like it's certainly not something that you're like I'm gonna take the bell jar to the beach and you know like (laughs) watch my three-year-old play in the surf um but it is uh it is beautifully written Mm -hmm. like she was an incredible talent so if nothing else it's it's just a beautifully written book but yeah it's that shit's dark it's dark all right next from
1: 1967 Many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Aureliano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. This is from 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, Very good. So... He. it is a significant Latin American magical realist novel that tells the story of seven generations of the Buendía family in the town of Macondo in the country of Colombia. Um, so it starts with a line indicating the pass of time. Um, we have mm-hmm. the presence of a firing squad. So that's kind of feels very military. Um, we have this like novelty of ice, you know, for that to be like such a strong memory, yeah. so which suggests that it's in a tropical climate. Um, so we kind of see that time is going to pass and we're gonna we're gonna hear a lot about this family in these stories
0: you know I don't think I've read a single Gabriel Garcia Marquez Mm -hmm. and I love magical realism like besides like uh gothic and uh murder mysteries Mm -hmm. like magical realism is my uh, my shit but uh, I'm very surprised that I haven't actually like gotten my hands on and actually sat down and read. A- I mean, I I imagine I would like it. <laughs> He's popular for a reason. Hello. Yeah, Hello.
1: maybe that's okay. If To Kill a Mockingbird is your summer reading, uh, okay. One Hundred Years of Solitude is your winter reading. So. Okay,
0: I like that. Yeah. I love it.
1: All right, 1973. This is a book nobody's read. A screaming comes across the sky. This is from Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon. <sighs> Oh, yeah. Nobody's read ever. Nobody. No. Any guy that's ever told you that he, Thomas Pynchon's his favorite author is lying.
0: Is lying. Nobody. You know lying. how long Gravity's Rainbow is? So long. Do you know what it's about? So ab- long. Do you know what it's about?
1: No. Okay. So it's a 760 page novel centering on the design, Shh. production, and dispatch of V 2 rockets by the German military.
0: Ah, uh, That sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what
1: so, the title of the book gravity's rainbow refers to the parabolic trajectory of a v2 rocket the rainbow-shaped path created by the missile as it moves under the influence of gravity uh,
0: this is this is considered a
1: classic yeah well the opening line a, oh, well sure the opening a line. screaming comes across the sky so okay it's a book about, know, it's rockets. about a rocket yeah, uh, it's coming across the sky. It's making that arc. It's making that rainbow shape. Rainbow shape. Mm. Thomas okay. Pinchon. Ugh. Gravity's rainbow. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next one I think is is one that I don't know a lot of people that have read this, but it is um, a very I don't want to say classic, but influential. Yeah, maybe. Um, okay. So this is from 1980. A green hunting cap squeezed the top of the fleshy balloon of a head. This is from A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy oh.
0: Toole. All right. Have you I read had, it? I have not, but I did have a friend in college, dude friend, who mm-hmm. uh, was yes. super into Confederacy of Dunces. Yes. And knowing his personality, it made a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah.
1: So mm-hmm. just a quick recap of the book. Um the main character, his name is Ignatius J. Riley. He's an educated but super slobby and morbidly obese 30-year-old man living with his mother in the early 1960s in New Orleans. Um, and in his quest for employment, has various adventures with colorful French Quarter characters. Um, it was published 11 years after John Kennedy Toole had died. And this novel earned oh. him a posthumous Pulitzer Prize for fiction in 1981 and is now considered a canonical work of modern literature of the Southern United States. Um, The book's title, A Confederacy of Dunces, refers to an epigram from Jonathan Swift's essay, Thoughts on Various Subjects, Moral and Diverting, which says, quote, when a true genius appears in the world, you may know him by this sign, that the Dunces are all in confederacy against him. Um, The story is also famous for its rich depiction of New Orleans and the city's dialects, including Yat. So remember to check out the recent episode on New Orleans with Father Brad if you haven't listened to that one yet. We love Father Brand. <laughs> so, yeah, um it is a like it's it's one of those books that you, as you're reading it you're like, "Oh, I hate this." <laughs> like like he's he's super gross and he's slobby and he's rude and like the lady that's kind of like his maybe like was his love interest or whatever, her name's My- Myra Minkov and she's she's all up in that book too and she's also a very weird person. So it's I mean, you you can tell like Tool was going for something here. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But like his, uh, but Ignatius Riley is like interactions with other people are just like, this is picture like the most pompous (laughs) man that you've ever like encountered and dial that notch, like up to 11. Oh my gosh. He's just so good. He thinks he's too good for all of these things. Like how dare Mm -hmm. you like insults left and right and whatever. But it's, uh, it's, it's, It's really weird.
0: I'll say that. but yeah,
1: But it might be worth reading. All right. So yeah, that opening line, a green hunting cap squeezed the top of the fleshy balloon of a head. Um, That's what he wears all the time, this green hunting cap, a fleshy balloon of a head. This guy's kind of big and slobby and that's what he's going for in this book. And
0: there you go. Wow,
1: (laughs) okay. All right, Uh, but to bring it, Meh, nah, this this one's not any like more exciting. Uh, Nineteen eighty one, you better not never tell nobody but God from the color purple by Alice oh, Walker. Yeah, uh, the very next sentence is, "It'd kill your mammy." So. Oh. Quick summary, unspeakable things have been done to the 14-year-old main character, Celie, by her father, Alfonso, who says this to her. Um, And it's the only direct speech in the book. So the whole rest of the book is in epistolary or letter form. And this Mm. takes place in rural Georgia in the 1930s, focusing on African-American women in the southern US. Uh, The Color Purple won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1983, making Alice Walker the first black woman to win the prize.
0: Uh, I saw the movie it's very emotional and affecting Whoopi Goldberg kills it dead in that she's Sealy in the movie she's phenomenal she's incredible I have chills just like thinking about her her acting ability and Oprah is in that movie and she also like like murders it she is so incredibly good like the woman should probably act more she's (laughs) yeah what else is she doing yeah what else she (laughs) doing? The other day she had like a giant um, cabbage on her uh, Instagram or whatever. She was showing off her big old cabbage. Oprah, get back into the studio. We need you.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, that opening line, it's, you can just tell something terrible and deep is happening. It has that vernacular to it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a very important book. It's a very striking first sentence.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: All right, next To be born again, sang Gabriel Farishta, tumbling from the heavens, first you have to die. This is from the Satanic Verses by Salman Rushdie, published in 1988. So if you haven't read this, the two protagonists... Uh, Gabriel Farishta and Saladin Shamsha are both Indian Muslim actors. At the beginning of the novel, they're traveling on a hijacked plane flying from India to Great Britain, and the plane explodes over the English Channel, but the two are magically saved. In a miraculous transformation, Farishta takes on the personality of the archangel Gabriel and Chamsha that of a devil. So the title refers to the Satanic verses, which are a group of Quranic verses that refer to three pagan Meccan goddesses so this is one of those books that maybe you haven't read it but you know about it just because of the fatwa against Salman Rushdie Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. there was like oh man there's like so much going on with like the the religion and politicization of this book when it came out in 1988 um Mm -hmm. but it is a it is a memorable opening line
0: yeah, I've never read it. I didn't even know what the plot was, but that sounds, that's intense. Mm-hmm. That sounds intense. Mm-hmm.
1: And the last one we have here under Intermediate, and I believe that you will know the book right after okay. that. All right. We slept in what had once been the gymnasium. I don't think I know. What I is think it? it's your favorite book. It's my favorite book? Do I have a favorite book? What's
0: yeah. my favorite book? oh yes oh my gosh it's The Handmaid's Tale oh my god Yes, I forgot about that because that's the scene where they're like laying there and then the the they're whispering to each other their names yes this is oh that's such a good the book. Handmaid's
1: Tale by Margaret Atwood 1985 we slept in what had once been the gymnasium so we have a non-specific we we have some big change that happened to a place It is the gymnasium. It's not a gymnasium. Um, The story is told in first-person narration by a woman named Offred. And quick summary. In this era of declining birth rates due to increasing infertility caused by environmental pollution and radiation, Offred is one of the few fertile women remaining. She's forcibly assigned to produce children for the commanders, the ruling class of men, and is known as a handmaid. Other women are also classed socially and follow a strict dress code, ranked highest to lowest. The commander's wives wear blue, the handmaids in red with white veils around their faces. The aunts, who train and indoctrinate the handmaids, are wearing brown. The Marthas, who are cooks and maids, wear green. Econo-wives, who handle everything in the domestic sphere, wear stripes. And young unmarried girls are in white, and widows are in black. Um, The novel's title, The Handmaid's Tale, echoes the component parts of Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales, which is a series of connected stories. So in those, you have like The Merchant's Tale, The Parsons' Tale, etc., Um, I feel like people know a lot more about this now because of the show on Hulu, which, Mm -hmm. you know, apparently everybody was amazing in that everything was, it was really great. Um, (laughs) so, but this, but the opening line, um, you might not be able to connect it right away Mm -hmm. with,
0: as I did (laughs) with the book. Um,
1: but it is a, it is an iconic opening line.
0: Um, I had the great honor and privilege of being able to see Margaret Atwood speak at Brockport a couple summers ago, and she read the first chapter of this book, and I sat completely enraptured, because not only is she stunningly beautiful, um, but she also has this great, like, as the kind of speaking voice that you would expect from an authoress, Mm. you know, like, very deep and rich and clear, and it was incredible. I was like, my hands were clasped, and there were stars in my eyes, and I was I was taken to another place. It was wonderful. In the meantime, uh, it's one of my favorite books, as you said, but I uh, gave it to my father, and he said he was, quote, not impressed. <laughs> he goes, I don't know. I didn't get it. That I was tr- like, you... And of course, then I completely... I was like, you have to be a woman! Like, you don't understand! <laughs> I was
1: like it's like you wouldn't even understand you know like I don't
0: yeah you don't understand dad it's you have to be a woman you don't know what it's like to have a womb and have that be monetized god it's great though you should read it so our final
1: tier of first of famous first lines, I'll call this the advanced category. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll give you the, I'll tell you the, the sentence and what it's from and who wrote it, and then just kind of explain to you what that sentence refers to or why this is important. Mm-hmm. So first, there was no possibility of taking a walk that day. This is from Jane Eyre, 1847 by Charlotte Bronte. Hmm. Um, so this line plunges the reader into the narrative, like right away. And there's kind of like a low key tone of disappointment. Um, they're, you know, kind of expectations that haven't been met that capture Jane Eyre's dismal circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, so she kind of Bronte kind of nails like Jane Eyre's hopeless prospects in 10 words. There was no possibility of taking a walk that day.
0: Ugh, great book. Yeah. All right. Gothic loving Yep. Next um, is the third
1: entry in this in this whole in this whole list um, from our man Charles Dickens from 1850 whether I shall turn out to be the hero of my own life or whether that station shall be held by anybody else these pages must show. This is mm. from David Copperfield, 1850. Um, so the narrator, in his statement of intent, avoids passing judgment in order to allow the text of the novel to kind of speak for itself. Um, chapter one of David Copperfield is called "I Am Born," so we know wow. kind of, we're kind of getting an autobiographical story <laughs> from the narrator mm-hmm. here. But um, this often comes up as one of the as a very iconic and memorable opening line. Mm-hmm. All right, next. Miss Brooke had that kind of beauty which seems to be thrown into relief by poor dress. This is from Middlemarch, 1872, oh. by George Eliot. Um, so Middlemarch, a study of provincial life centers on the lives of the residents of Middlemarch, a fictitious Midlands town from 1829 to 1832. So the narrative has several plots. Um, it has the life of Dorothea Brooke, the career of Tertius Lydgate, the courtship of Mary Garth by Fred Vincy, and the disgrace of Nicholas Bulstrode. These are all great names, by the way. Um, great names. The two main plots of the book are those of Dorothea Brooke and Tertius Lydegate. Um, so the very, right off the bat, we're talking about Miss Brooke. She had the kind of beauty which seems to be thrown into relief by poor dress. Um, So George Eliot is the pen name of Marianne Evans. Uh, She wrote seven novels under that name. Um, Adam Bede, The Mill on the Floss, Silas Marner, Romola, Felix Holt the Radical, Middlemarch, and Daniel Deronda. And most Mm -hmm. of these are set in provincial England. All right, this one you mentioned earlier, I'm going to see if you can rem- if you can tell me I had All right. the, I had the story bit by bit from various people and as generally happens in such cases each time it was a different story. This is from 1911. It- is this
0: is this my Ethan Frome? It is Ethan Frome. Oh, I love this book. I'm sorry. By Edith I love it. Wharton.
1: No, I am yep. uh, I don't know anybody that's read it. So I'm kind of glad that you have. Um, so if you haven't read it, uh, we have a narrator here who's trying to like get the hot goss on a particular person, mm-hmm. unclear who yet. Um, and he has to settle for kind of bits and pieces from various people while trying to figure out this whole story. So...
0: Yeah, I was the only person in my English class that read it from cover to cover and loved it, even though I think it's it's very slim. I think it's like 150 pages or something like that. And I loved it. Oh, I loved it. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was like the certain time period that like my teenage brain was in, but I was like taken with it and raptured by it. I loved that book. That was my favorite book for a very long time. So the
1: story is how mm-hmm. Ethan Frome, a lifelong resident and local fixture of the community became a ruined man who is uh, scarred and disfigured and walking with a terrible limp from a smash up 24 years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the book is over hundred years old, so it's not a spoiler to say that sleds are heavily involved in this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this opening line, it, Kind of draws the reader in from the very beginning. And it doesn't necessarily give you any like context or a character's name or anything like that. So you might not know who it is right away. But
0: yeah, there you go. Gr- I really like it. It's from what I've understood, people who have read it, it they're very divided. They either love it or the majority really <laughs> hate Ethan <hate even> from. <laughs> so. All right. Um, three
1: words from 1942. Mother Died Today. This is from The Stranger by Albert Camus. Oh, okay. So, Mother Died Today. Um, there's little warmth or closeness or love with this term, mother, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the main character is Mersol a French-Algerian. And the first sentence introduces Mursault's emotional indifference one of his most important character traits Um, he doesn't express any remorse upon learning of his mother's death and the rest of the opening paragraph goes on to introduce the idea of the meaningless of human existence a theme that resounds throughout the novel so this isn't necessarily easy to associate with a specific character or a title on its own but it is worth remembering and connecting Mm -hmm. that mother died today is the stranger you know? All right, another book that I haven't read uh, and needed to, f- needed to read more about the plot. It was Love at First Sight. This is from oh, Catch-22 huh. by Joseph Heller, published in 1961. So the first sentence of Catch-22 is it was love at first sight. The second line is, the first time Yossarian saw the chaplain, he fell madly in love with him.
0: Huh. I had to read this this book for a comedy class, weirdly enough. What? <laughs> yeah, I took a class in comedy, um, which is why I'm so funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I read it and I don't... Honestly, I think I remember like 2% yeah. of that book. Yeah. So this novel is set
1: during World War II from 1942 to 1944. It's basically about Yossarian, who is... Our anti-hero, he's a bombardier for the U.S. Army. He's trying to survive the madness of war. And he does this by trying to prove he's insane in order mm-hmm. to not have to fly more combat missions, which might get him killed. Um, in fact, he's sure that everybody's out to kill him, which might actually be true because he's in a <laughs> war where everyone is trying yeah. to kill everybody. Sure. Um, so most of the events in the book occur while the fictional 256th U.S. Army Air Squadron is based on the island of Pianosa in the Mediterranean Sea west of Italy. And the story uses a distinctive non-chronological third-person omniscient narration describing events from the points of view of different characters. Um, The separate storylines are out of sequence, so the timeline develops along with the plot. Anyway, um, the opening lines are not a romantic love, kind of an intellectual love, um, knowing that the chaplain would be one of the only men in the army who would understand empathy and logic. So... Mm. I see. It's it's a it's kind of a weird disconnect if you know the plot of the story and then you hear that the first line is it was love at first yeah. sight cuz that sounds like it it has could nothing be to do anything. with the rest it of it. It has nothing yeah. to do with war and insanity and apparently, <laughs> violence and death. Apparently yeah.
0: comedy. Yeah. Apparently comedy. Yeah, comedy. <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't know. Okay. I think it's a satire. <laughs> uh, next all this happened more or less This is from slaughterhouse five or the children's Uh, crusade, a duty dance with death from 1969 by Kurt Vonnegut. Um, So all this happened more or less. Um, We get a little bit of uh, like an unreliable narrator, like Mm -hmm. right off the bat, you know Um, the book follows the life and experiences of Billy Pilgrim from his early years to his time as an American soldier and chaplain's assistant during world war II, surviving bombings at Dresden while being held with prisoners of war in an empty slaughterhouse. Um, and it goes on to the post-war years with Billy occasionally traveling through time itself. Um, yep. We talked about this before, mostly because I had like n- no idea that there's a whole <laughs> adventure where he's captured by an alien spaceship and taken yes. to a planet called Um yep. So <laughs> this isn't necessarily easy. This line isn't easy to associate with a specific character or title on its own, but it is worth remembering. All this happened more or less.
0: Yeah, um, I for someone who is so dismissive of mid-century male writers (laughs) who especially uh, write satirically or maybe stream of consciousness about wars, um, I really have a soft spot for Kurt Vonnegut. I really enjoyed (laughs) Slaughterhouse-Five when I read it, weirdly enough. So, you know, bless him. (laughs) All right, just
1: a couple more. This is my favorite book in all the world, though I have never read it. It's from The Princess Bride. Published in 1973 (gasps) by William Goldman. (laughs) So the princess bride, like we're not talking the movie here. We're talking about the book. It is a, it is a weird book. Okay. It's a
0: weird book. It's,
1: it's a book that's pretending to be a direct translation of a fairy tale Mm -hmm. when it is in fact entirely a creation from William Goldman's own mind. Um, and then we have this like whole intro chapter trying to state that Goldman was actually the translator of this classic work by S. Morgenstern rather than the writer of the whole book itself. So the actually, the first 36 pages are mostly just about the author and his process of translating the classic from its stiff prose into something fun and full of only the good parts that he remembered from his brush with the story during his childhood. Mm. The actual fairy tale itself begins around page 39. So this opening line is mm-hmm. like it just kind of makes you think right right away this is my favorite book in all the world though i've never read it yeah huh Ah. huh huh what a thing all right um from the year 1987 three words 124 was spiteful this is from beloved by tony morrison
0: <gasps> oh yeah yeah.
1: Yikos, yeah, right? This book is dark. Yes. <laughs> so, 124 is the number of their house in Cincinnati, uh, which former enslaved woman Setha and her family believe is haunted by a revenant who may just be the ghost of Setha's eldest daughter. Um, so, after. This first sentence, 124, was spiteful. It goes on to, full of a baby's venom. The women in the house knew it, and so did the children. For years, each put up with the spite in his own way. But by 1873, Setha and her daughter, Denver, were its only victims. So this isn't, again, it's not necessarily easy to associate with a specific character or title on its own, mm-hmm. but, but this is worth remembering. And, and if you haven't read this book
0: it's so beautifully written. Yeah. I mean, it is stunning. It's a stunning book, but mm-hmm. it is very tough. Mm-hmm. It's a tough book, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And
1: we'll end this on a lighter note. Um, from the year twenty eleven, and I'm gonna see if I'm gonna see if you can name this. Oh boy. First line is "I'm pretty much fucked."
0: Is this? <laughs> I just thought of. Is this um. Is this uh, Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> <laughs> A classic. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Please tip your bartenders. <laughs> <laughs> no, what is it? Uh, I
1: think st- I think Steve would know it. You remember this and ask him later. I will. I will. Um, I'm pretty much fucked. Is the f- opening line of The Martian by Andy Weir? <gasps> Oh, of course. <laughs> That's
0: so a great, yeah. It is. I,
1: it, it's one of my favorite sci-fi books. I don't even like sci-fi. Um, it's great. So yeah, it's right, right off the bat. Again, this character is obviously in a situation. Um, mm-hmm. And he, you know, isn't afraid to express himself. So
0: the book and the, the movie yeah. is so, f- it's funny. It's like, it's just a great story. He did an incredible job. Yes,
1: so those are a series of opening lines.
0: Perfect. I you love You should that. be able to
1: associate with a certain piece of literature. I love for it. For trivia purposes. For
0: trivia purposes only.
1: All right. So our quiz is called Take It From The Top. This is a quiz on opening lyrics of songs. I will name for you the year and recite the very first line. And you will tell me the song title for a half a point and the artist for a half a point. Okay. All right. And I wrote this quiz at three in the morning, everybody. So (laughs) it could be great and it could be terrible. No, I love it. All right. Question one. 2006. When I was a young boy, my father took me into the city to see a marching band. Question two from 1982. She was more like a beauty queen from a movie scene. Question three. 1975, I took my love, I took it down, climbed a mountain, and I turned around. Question four, from 2003, go shoddy, it's your birthday. We gon' party like it's your birthday. Question five, from 1989, Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio. Question six from 1972. You walked into the party like you were walking onto a yacht. Question seven from 1997. Let's go, girls. Question eight from 2014. I stay out too late. Got nothing in my brain. Question nine from 1995. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you. And finally, question 10 from 1999. Ladies, leave your man at home. The club is full of ballers and their pockets full grown. give you about a minute to think about this and then we'll be back with your answers.
0: i I'm gonna have to like sing some of these, but mm-hmm. it's fine all right, all right, all right, so I'm naming the year
1: and the very reciting the very first line, and you will tell me the song title for a half point and the artist for a half a point all right, number one from two thousand six when I was a young boy, my father took me into the city to see a marching band.
0: Uh, this is like this this first one I am like I have. Almost no idea. Ooh, okay. Um, 2006. This is a song that I like, I knew. I'm sure I knew. When I was a young boy, my
1: father took me into the city to see a marching band.
0: Yeah. For some reason, that's giving me like Panic at the Disco if vibes. If I played a probably- piano,
1: if I had a piano, you could name this in one note. Oh, man. If I hit, <laughs> if I hit the piano key one time. You would know what song this was.
0: <sighs> I'm I'm gonna be really mad, aren't I? Yeah, you're gonna be really bad
1: because I was like, "This is <laughs> Lauren's gonna ace this quiz." I was like, "This is
0: I, the rest of them." I definitely okay, know. We'll,
1: we'll come back to number one. We'll come back to number, oh, number okay. one. Okay, all right, all right. I like that. I like okay. that. I like that. Number okay. two from 1982. She was more like a beauty queen from a movie scene. Uh, that's Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. Correct. Boom. Number three from 1975. I took my love I took it down climbed a mountain and I
0: turned around uh that's landslide um, by Stevie Nicks and that band she was in (laughs) oh my god I'm sweating uh (laughs) why can't I think of that name it'll come to me don't worry just just relax just everybody chill out
1: we're just chilling out
0: we're just relaxing we're just relaxing and allowing that band's name. I can see the cover of the the album. Lindsay Buckingham's in it. <laughs> I had a friend in college who hated this band more than anything in the whole wide world. That is two words. One band. <laughs> Will you please give me the first letter? <laughs> just cut this out. Just cut F. this part out. Fog hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm so mad. F- Sh- you have Sh- named Warren. the
1: two people in the band whose names are not in the name of the band. <laughs> I, know, I, know.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. Mick Fleetwood, Mac. <laughs> Fleetwood Mac.
1: <laughs> Correct. <sighs> oh my god, I'm sweating. Question four. Gonna... <laughs> question four. When I read this one, Lauren cracked up for a solid like two minutes. Yeah, um, absolutely. From 2003, Go shoddy. It's your birthday. <laughs> we're gonna party like it's your
0: birthday. And I the first before I answer this correctly, I'm gonna say I love our our insistence on being as white as humanly mm-hmm. possible at every moment. Like we're really taking on that mantle of like this is our identity. Um this is Into Club by 50 Cent. Yes. Yes. Correct. All right.
1: Number five from 1989. Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio.
0: Uh, That's We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. Correct.
1: Great. Number six from 1972. You walked into the party like you were walking onto a yacht. Love this song. This is So Vain by Carly Simon or You're So Vain. You're So Vain by Carly Simon. Correct. Question seven from 1997. Let's go, girls.
0: Uh, this is Shania Twain, and let me just get let me just get to the chorus in my head. All right, mm-hmm. man, I feel like a woman. Correct. You're welcome. <laughs> all
1: right, number eight from 2014. I stay out too late. Got nothing in my brain.
0: Um, I'm sorry. That's Taylor Swift's Blank Space. It Did is, I get it wrong? It is no. Not, shut up. It's not Blank Space. No. What is it? It's from that album, though, isn't mm-hmm. it? Okay. Oh no! I can't believe I'm fa- I can't believe I'm falling apart on blank a Taylor space, Swift song. Blank Space
1: starts with "Nice to meet you. Where are you?" Been. Oh
0: right. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna cross
1: off Blank Space. Hold on. I stay out too late. Got nothing in my brain.
0: Uh, is this? Oh my God! This isn't twenty-two. No. Oh, jeez.
1: That's what people say. Mm mm. That's what people say. Mm mm mm. -mm. Uh. 'Cause the player's gonna play. Oh, shake it off. This is shake
0: it off. Mm -hmm.
1: Shake it off by Taylor Swift.
0: Damn!
1: Shake it off, Lauren. We're going to question nine. All right, all right. From 1995, today is going to be the day that they're going
0: to throw it back to you. Uh, This is Oasis. Mm -hmm. Okay, and this is uh, Oh Wonderwall. Yes.
1: Question ten from 1999. Ladies, leave your man at home. The club is full of ballers, and their pockets full grown.
0: Um, Let me just sing it in my head. Mm -hmm. Hold on. Okay, this is Jumpin' Jumpin'. <laughs> and this is Beyonce's band. Not called Gemini's Twin. <laughs> it's Beyonce's band. It's Beyonce's band. Not called Gemini's Twin. But? But called. And all I could think of was Gemini's Twin, which is the SNL parody of it. I'm sweating again. <laughs> Why can't I remember? Um... just shut up just everybody shut up hold on I'm gonna take off my cans
1: (laughs) all right she's leaning back in her chair she's massaging her temples
0: (laughs) I can hear you in the cans (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um um destiny's child destiny's child oh god Lauren what is your problem all right we're circling
1: back to question one okay from 2006 when i was a young boy my father took me into the city to see a marching band what the fuck is the song Bing. there's your name that in one note bing No, you get the note
0: before the, before the words kick in. Oh, shit. Okay, then I don't know. Bing! What is it? Just tell me. What is it? This is
1: Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance.
0: Oh, my God. No, I wouldn't have gotten that. Yes, you would have. Everybody knows I, this song. I, I, you know what? I could not like bring it to, my, to the forefront of my mind right now. I could not do that. I mean, I'm sure I've heard the song. I'm I'm not saying that I haven't, I'm but sh- I, I don't shocked. think I could sing it for you right now. I'm shocked. I think I think everybody our age has definitely heard this song because it was everywhere. <laughs> but maybe, but like, I don't know, maybe I heard it too much and my brain kicked it out. And now, so I don't feel too bad. Okay. But damn it. You know, if there was going to be a quiz that I was going to get 10 out of 10 of, this was going to be it. Damn it. It's not going to happen, is it? Eight out of ten. That's the best I can do. Eight and a half, maybe. Eight and a half, eight and a half, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll do that. Great. Eight point five. Eight point five good out of Good job. Thanks.
1: Thanks thanks for sticking with us, everybody. I know this one went kind of long, but there's a <laughs> lot of books out there.
0: Yeah, a lot of books. And you know what? It's an important bunch of it's good information. You know? Yeah. It's good information. Little bit a so,
1: little bit of literature. Uh little bit of literature. Seminar for here. So <laughs> thanks for listening um you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts um please rate review and subscribe tell a friend oh please um and yeah please um please keep on listening
0: <laughs> keep
1: on
0: listening keep on downloading and listening guys we totally appreciate it
1: uh and we will catch you next time bye, bye.